everyone, and welcome to another Scots Way podcast. And the Breedwood Boys are back again. We did one of these. Hello, Andy. Hello, Ali. So, uh, Andy, for those of you who didn't see our podcast, looking at the best or our favourite Scottish albums of uh, the eighties, uh, Andy is my brother up in Braemar, and uh, we did a podcast, as I said, talking about our favourite Scottish, uh, the Scottish albums we listened to the most in the eighties, and people seem to quite like it. Believe it or not. So we thought, well, let's give it another stab with our stuff from the 90s and um, see if this has got any other legs in it. Um, which which it, just seems like yesterday, actually. Well, <laughs> Some I know. It seems like yesterday. So let's put a bit of scene setting because uh, when we were in the, in the 80s, we both were kind of in the same house for the majority of it. But by the time mm-hmm. the 90s started, I was living in Glasgow and you mm-hmm. were in Aberdeen. Is that right? Yes, I'd gone to uh, Aberdeen, yeah. yeah. So I was studying at Grey's School of Art. So this will be interesting we, because yeah. we uh, kind of knew, I think, what we would pick for the 80s albums because, as I said, we were kind of both listening to a lot of them at the same time. But this will be interesting to see the differences because there'll be stuff, I think, that we'll both pick that, you know, we won't realise that the other one was listening to. Um, having yeah. all that distance between us. That's right. Um, so let's kick off, Andy. We should say it's going to be 10 albums, Scottish albums, um, or Scottish records, I should say. Um, I've got uh, at least one EP there. Um, from the 1990s, um, and again, it's the ones that we actually listen to rather than, you know, trying to change uh, history in any way. Um, so what's your first uh, pick? Well, on the last uh, discussion we had, I chose uh, my favourite big country record, and... In the 90s, Big Country brought out a, a new record in uh, 93 called The Buffalo Skinners. And I had kind of lost track a wee bit before the days of internet and uh, instant sort of instant gratification. Yeah. Um, you you kind of lost, well, I, I'd lost track. And I think they brought out an album called um, No Place Like Home. And, and it had gone a bit, there was a honky-tonk piano on it. Mm-hmm. And there was banjos on it and stuff, and I, was, you know, you know, I, I just, that was women at one point. They did, yeah, because they, they they played support for the Stones on one of their tours, so you know there was an influence, and that yeah. that that led onto a track called, um, oh gosh, you hated it, didn't you, Ali? At the time, it was uh, uh, King of Emotion, but that was on another yeah. album on a previous album, yeah, 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 with yeah, the yeah. na 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 na, nee nee nee, na 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 na, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the 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 drum the drum uh, the drum beat off that was a kind of homage to Honky Tonk Woman. Anywho, the Buffalo Skinners came out, uh, and after me, kind of thinking, mm, I'm not sure if the, the Honky Tonk piano and the and and the, and the um, banjo and all that is, uh, is this came out, and it was back to being loud guitars, quite quite rawly, rawly, rawly. Raleigh a word? No, I don't think so, but we'll go with that. It is now, right, okay. Oh, raw. It, was, it was pure raw. <laughs> and, uh, and it was mechty raw. Right, and raw. so it was, I suppose grunge was about and all that, and, and the loud guitars were back in. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, Stuart used to say that himself when he came on stage, don't worry, we'll be getting the loud guitars out soon. Because they, they used to be their own support band, come on, did an acoustic set then came on with the, the loud guitars. And uh, Buffalo Skinners is a great uh, a great return. I thought it was a great return to form. And I can remember as clear as anything sitting in the art school 
in in the studio and and the new single came out which was a track called Alone and it just sounded like my big country from back in the day and that's very pleasing at the time so that's my first album excellent i don't know i don't really know that at all i can remember some I, of it but i kind of like you said, after the seer, I think I kind of stopped. That's right. A lot of, uh, well, it was, there was a kind of holy triumphal of uh, the crossing, Steel Town and the Seer. I always think of those as, those are the records that I loved. They're a great opening three albums. Yeah, it's kind of hard to beat those, I think. so. But the, the, the later stuff is worth checking out, I think. Big time, actually. It's especially the Buffalo Skinner's album. So, um, my first pick is, uh, well, I'll put a bit of context in this. In the late 80s, early 90s, I was um, spending a lot of time in the clubs of Glasgow, like some club, um, Tunnel, uh, Fury Murray's, uh, you know, various things, but a lot of dance music and indie music. It was a great time for that kind of crossover. Um, obviously, Screamadelica being perhaps the ultimate example of this, but there was a lot of bands who previously had maybe been in... Um, uh, guitar bands and stuff, but then they, they found a kind of dance music. There was some great uh, crossover stuff. Soup Dragon's been another terrific oh. example of that. Jesus Jones and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but one album which I, I loved and didn't do as well as it should have done is um, One Dove and um, Morning Dove White. Now, this came out in 93. Um, it's Dot Allison, Ian Kamiko, and Jim uh, McEwen. And it was, I think it was supposed to come out in 1992 and for legal reasons, I don't know whether it was samples or, you know, there's a lot of that stuff about, it mm. didn't come out at the time. And I think that hurt it in terms of how it was received because music moves very quickly anyway. And I think dance music in particular, you know, if you, if you are right at the kind of zeitgeist one minute, six months later, you know, people have moved on and are listening to other things. And unfortunately, I think that's what happened with uh, uh, One Dove. This is a brilliant record. Still, um, White Love is one of my favourite uh, tracks ever. I think it's great. And um, it's very chilled out. It's that whole kind of um, after the party's finished kind of vibe about it, you know, washed mm -hmm. out. And um, and I think if it came out in 92, we'd be talking a classic like Screamadelica uh, mm -hmm. and uh, right up there with it. Because I rate it that highly. I think it's such a good album. But unfortunately, um, that year, I think, just took a bit of shine off it. Fallen, the first single, I think, came out in 91. So mm -hmm. that's a long period for people to be talking about an album. And people were talking about it. They were very excited about it. Um, mm -hmm. Dot Allison, a terrific singer and still making great music today. But, yeah, it just uh, uh, didn't quite take off as it should. But, um, yeah, fantastic uh, set of songs for me. So I missed that one. I missed that one. I know a lot of my pals rave about that album. and Because I, I, I think know, this was very you know. big in the Glasgow clubs. Mm -hmm. Remember at the time, a lot, particularly dance music, there was loads of remixes. Like about yeah, yeah, yeah. remixes every kind of single that mm -hmm. came out. Mm -hmm. And that happened with these. But if you were, mm -hmm. this would be regular played in, uh, you know, the, the more uh, a dance end of the clubs in Glasgow. Mm -hmm. um, and the... Yeah, great tracks and a, and a cool. great band. And they could all, uh, they were all um, great musicians as well. Um, it's a bit of a, say, a lost gem. Or you were saying, like, pals of yours know it. And I think, you know, people mm -hmm. around at that time hold it in the esteem that I do, definitely. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Okay, number two from you. 
Well, what I'd meant to do before was also prefix the whole thing by saying I wasn't, I was listening to a lot of um, experimental music at the time because that was, went hand in hand with what I was looking at when I was at the art, art school. So yeah. a lot of my, the music that I was listening to, to relax to is, uh, I don't know, is it, um, what am I trying to say? Yeah, I was listening to a lot of ambient music and a lot of experimental stuff. And uh, so to get a list of Scottish bands, it's, I had to really scratch my head because, you know, I was, I, I, was, I was listening to other stuff. Anywho, my next one, it's not, I haven't put these in chronological uh, order, so they, so they go all over the place They're chronologically. Um, my next one is uh, Songs of Northern Britain um, right. by the Teenage Fan Club. And the thing that sold me that, well, there were two things that sold me that. The single, uh, Ain't That Enough. Yeah. Uh, when I first heard that, it was, it's everything I like about that form of music. There's, there's the 12-string the, the jangle, which I just love. It just sounded uh, like, like the most sunshiny, summery day, you know, coming out of the radio again. And uh, for me, that's, that's what I liked about that kind of record. It was also... Has, you know, it has all those elements of tambourine and, the, you know, that kind of Birdsian uh, feeling to it. But uh, also the photography on that album, I know you shouldn't judge a, a record by its sleeve, but mm-hmm. um, the, the actual uh, photography, I can't remember who did it. It does say somewhere on the, obviously on the, I don't have my CDs with me because they're all at the shop and mm. they, I didn't want to get a wheelbarrow out to bring them back up. So, um yeah, the, the photography on that of the old disused um, filling station and all that. And I think actually, I don't know when Travis's album came out, The, the Man Who, but that had similar uh, imagery, you know, of places up at uh, Aviemore and slightly disused Scottish um, holiday type photographs, etc. I think The Man Who came out about 95, 96. I think. Before that. Mm-hmm. And I think Song to Northern Britain was a bit after that. 97. Yeah. 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 So um, yeah. I think that's right. I would have to double check yeah. that. Maybe I'll do that while we're, you're talking yeah. about something else in a bit. But, um, yeah. a, so Teenage Fan Club in general, Andy, I'm going to talk about them as well later on. But uh, were you always okay, a fan of the album? That you're gonna... I, again, because I was listening to other things at the time. I wasn't listening to a lot of um, this kind of music. Uh, so, no, I didn't, to be honest with you. I mean, I knew, <coughs> excuse me, I knew some of the, the, the work, but this was the album that really, I, I bought the album on the base of the single and, and, and it, it all has that summary oh, yes, feel to it, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, okay, so my second one, mine are in chronological order because I am that. Oh, they would be. Yeah, absolutely. And it is um, Dundee's very own Gary Clark. Now, I don't know if you can recognise him from that picture, but Gary Clark, people who were around in the 80s would know as the lead singer of uh, Danny Wilson, Mary's Prayer and uh, Second Summer of Love and all that kind of stuff. And Mm. um, most recently, he then, uh, once Danny Wilson finished, uh, and in the kind of later 90s, went on to work with um, some incredible people like um, writing songs with and for Liz Fair, Kathy Dennis, um, David McAlmont, and I think he worked with Lloyd Cole. And then recently, he did the music for a brilliant film called Sing Street, 
which if you haven't seen, I really recommend it. Brilliant. And also an Amazon television program that's out just now called Modern Love, which is a big American drama, and he's done a lot of the music for that. So he's always been doing well. And, mm. um, and he's also um, done music with Grand Gestures and, and you know, other uh, local bands. I think he's actually working with a band called Heights, um, H-Y-T-T-S, sort of terrific new band and I think he's uh, got a lot to do with them but this is his uh, solo record which came out in 1993 as well and it's called 10 Short Songs About Love and I just mm. always go back to this record it's terrific mm -hmm. For, I know you're a big Boo Hooardeen fan I am yeah, yeah it's mm -hmm. a kind of similar vibe to that in terms right. of the songs I, I rate him as one of the best songwriters uh, mm. around um, still to this day uh, I just love his songs. This is quite highly produced. There's a lot of stuff as it was at the time. You know, mm -hmm. think Curiosity Killed the Cat or Johnny mm -hmm. H. Jazz or, you know, that kind of stuff. But the song, it doesn't affect, for me, it doesn't bother me. And the song still mm -hmm. kind of shine through on it. Um, a, yeah, Gary Clark's just a great singer-songwriter. And uh, if you only know from Mary's Prayer, and if you don't know that, then, you mm -hmm. know, for goodness sake, can I go and, and check it out because uh, he's a great musician. Mary's Prayer uh, reminds me so much of going up to college. It must have been that year, and it was on all the time everywhere. No, maybe not. It was but it was still. I mean, it still gets played on the radio now. Yeah, yeah. So it would have been played a lot. Um, and I always think of a mm. uh, uh, Danny Wilson, kind of in that group with you know, kind of Hue and Cry and Dick yes. And that kind of, um, Blue-eyed soul stuff that was really popular in the late uh, 80s and early 90s. But underneath that, there were some fantastic songwriters like Lloyd Cole and uh, Gary Clark is, uh, is their equal and up there with them. So number three, Andy, what have you got for number three? I'm just reading them out as they come on my list and mine is um, the, the Mighty KLF and Chill Out. Ah, brilliant. Which is a record I just wouldn't uh, ever... Uh, be without um, and it was introduced to me funnily I was, I was trying to think where, where I heard about it and I was at um, I was at a Primal Scream concert when they were doing Screamadelica so this is obviously right. out already and uh, I was just standing at a bar this guy comes up chatting away and he said have you heard you know have you heard KLF chill out and I said no I hadn't heard of that at all because it just wasn't on my radar just a random stranger yeah no you know what it's like yeah, yeah. 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 and <laughs> Right, right. And um, so we just get we had good chatting and he's like, oh, I know, man, you should try this. And uh, so off I went and got it. And uh, and it was just it was just perfect for me. I, think I must have been talking about influences and, and music and I, I've been talking about Brian Eno or whatever like that. And, uh, and this is, I, would, I always recommend this to everyone. Um, and it's more than just a chill out record, really. I mean, there's just so much on it. And there was bits that you already knew, like Aka Bilk, Stranger on the Shore, and uh, Elvis Presley in the ghetto. There's wee sections of uh, Albatross by Fleetwood Mac on there as well, just tiny wee sections of things. I don't know how they get away with it. I mean, they must have, I don't know how they get away with it. Well, they would pay but, um, some people, I guess. Yeah, they would have, somebody would have to get paid. And um, what else is on it? The, yeah, there's the. There's actually a bit of that, uh, Van Halen on there as well. You know, uh, Eruption, believe it or not, yeah, comes wow. on the radio. And uh, yeah, it's just a perfect record, and it just it feels like what it's... 
Sorry, I'm going to say KLF are a really interesting band because I think mm. a lot of people remember their kind of top of the pops years, uh, mm. you know, just the Finding Ancients and all that stuff, Tammy Wynette and Ice Cream Van and all of that. But yeah. loads of different music and styles that they worked on and uh, the ambient stuff was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, so, so that was my... Uh, that's one I've had forever. and um, I've had several copies of it because I keep losing them, but... Um, yeah, it was, um, I think it's supposed to be a mythical nighttime drive across America. That's what it's supposed to be loosely based on. And uh, it is, it's, it, at the time I was getting into music that was kind of, you could label as um, uh, kind of traveling without moving type stuff. You know, you could sit down and go on a journey with it. And um, yeah. that was that was one of the best ones for me. There was a, a lot of similar stuff out at the time, but this, I think this was probably one of the, the seminal ones. That's a great record. It's one I haven't listened to for a long, long time, probably since it came out. Because um, you need about an hour. You know, you need about an hour. Yeah, to yeah. Listen to it's it, a real know. sit down and listen to it from beginning mm -hmm. to end thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and there's, 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 yeah, go ahead. On you go. No, no. Okay. Um, my third one is a return to a band we spoke about when we were talking in the 80s, and it is Aztec Camera. And I should, and it's Dreamland is the name of the album, which came out in 93, but I didn't buy it till 95, and I'll tell you about that in a second. But I have been trying to find these all in my CD collection, but there's a couple of boxes that I never unpacked from when I moved to this flat, so I think this might be there. But just so people know what it looks like, that is the album cover there with Roddy, mm -hmm. Aztec Camera. So Dreamland, uh, I bought it when I was in uh, Australia, um, in Perth, Australia, and uh, it is an album about Roddy's love. It's a romance in and about Barcelona, put it that way. The whole album, it's almost a concept album about his love affair that he's having with someone in uh, Barcelona based on a, a real relationship. And uh, it's just beautiful from start to finish. Songs like uh, Birds, Spanish Horses, which if you've never heard that track, he does the Spanish guitar on it. Uh, Ruki Sakamoto, talking about um, mm -hmm. ambient people, is is on the record right through it. Uh, you know, it was Roddy Frame has had this real brilliant thing of uh, collaborating with great people. You know, a knife he collaborates with Mark Knopfler. He collaborated with. A your man from the Clash, his name escapes me for a minute. Um, a, and here, Ruki Sakamoto, Ruki Sakamoto, and a, you can hear the influence in the tracks like Clocks and Bell of the Ball. And there's a kind of sad melancholy to it as well because he kind of knows this time, this period is going to end, this, and the relationship's going to end. Um, I said before, I don't think anyone writes about. Uh, love like um, like Roddy Frame does. Funnily enough, today, I, when we're recording this, is the centenary of Edwin Morgan's um, birthday. The poet, the Scottish poet Edwin Morgan, who himself collaborated later in life with Idlewild and, and many other um, musicians. But I think Morgan writes best when he's writing love poetry, or at least about romance and uh, the, the good and bad. And I think that's what Roddy Frame does. He, he uh, manages to capture that. And this album is a kind of well, he called an album Love, didn't he? But this, this one is a very specific one. And it actually made me, the first time I visited Barcelona, I've been there a few times now, I went because of this record, because I wanted right. to go to the places that he names and walk the streets and have a coffee in Plaza Real, which he mentions in it, and all of that stuff. And yeah, 
I just adored that record, um, and I still do today. All of these ones I still go back to and listen to. But that was Aztec Camera and Dreamland. So we're moving on to number four, Andy. Number four, I guess here's a real curveball. Okay, it's an album. We like a curveball. <laughs> you know how uh, last time we talked about um, Celtic prog? We did. Or Gaelic prog. Yeah, yeah, we did. We talked about the run rig. About the run rig. Well, there's a band called uh, Iona, and they put out an album called Beyond These Shores in 1993. I think I've said that at yours. I think I've played that when I've been visiting you. Aye. So I bought it uh, based on the fact I kind of flipped it over and I saw Robert Fripp was playing on it. I've yet to find the bit that he plays on because it, 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 there's Frippatronics on it somewhere. But uh, it, it, it's a concept album based on uh, St. Brendan's Voyage, uh, who was one of the monks who sailed from Ireland in a, in a leather and wood boat in the 6th century. Uh, now you were at school at the time you were listening to this. <laughs> yes, we were into all sorts. And, uh, yeah... So, but, and as I was looking up, because I wanted to uh, rejig my memory, and uh, it had the horrendous uh, title of um, Celtic Prog Christian Rock. That's a hard sell. That's a hard sell. That's quite niche. So, um, yeah, but it's a fabulous uh, record, really well produced record. They've got. There's all sorts of atmospherics on it. Uh, uh, it goes by the, the the rule. I think it was um, Warren uh, Warren from the Starry Skies who said, "If you know, if in doubt, put a rain stick on it." And uh, you know, there's things you turn, and it I can know be... exactly what you mean. Yeah, yeah. So there's some of them on it, and, and but there's some fantastic guitar playing, some fantastic uh, musicianship, um, and it's actually it's a wonderful, beautiful record, um, and I quite like. Um, you know, the more I've read about Brian, you know, he says he likes a lot of uh, uh, church music, you know. Yeah. And there's something appealing about uh, uh, music that is made by people with a faith because there's a joy in it. And there's yeah. a, a, even though you might not share that particular point of view. He obviously didn't go to our Church of Scotland when we were kids if he thinks there's a joy there was, in it. There, there was not much joy. Um, <laughs> apart from when I dropped a wee car on somebody's head. Um, but no, it's... Um, it's one of them, you know, I just find it a really uplifting album, you know, and uh, you get that kind of sense of the soaring eagles and the great voyages and, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I'd recommend that one. It, it's, it's a brilliantly produced thing. It's, it, it sounds crystal clear and it's it's got uh, Celtic harp and low whistles and ebos and you name it, it's got kitchen sink on it, but it's, it's a fantastic album. It's interesting you should mention that because one of the albums I was going to put in my top 10 or in my 10, uh, which I didn't, was Mike Scott's Bring Them All In, which I listened to a lot, uh, particularly again when I was travelling. And um, it's about faith and his faith. And, and he, at the time he was going up to Finhorn, you know, up uh, El, you know, he, um, yeah. and it's about staying in Finhorn, about discovering himself and not really the kind of stuff that I would normally perhaps in terms of themes listen to, but it's a great album. And it, there's a strength in his own faith which comes out and they're great songs really brilliant songs apparently he's very fond of the piano in that hall up there yeah um there's a certain piano apparently universal hall i think is what it's called uh, uh, 
Um, yeah, so before I talk about this, uh, Travis, the man who was 1999, it was later. Mm-hmm. Was. Oh, really? I didn't realise it was that late. Right? Uh, okay. yeah. Anyway, so um, Teenage Fan Club, Grand Prix, the album before, Songs from Northern Britain. Yeah. I think those two are my favourite albums. Difficult to, to pick one of them, but not for me, because this isn't just an album I love. It's an album which means a lot to me. I mentioned before, I was in Australia in 95, 96, working... And that's when this came out in 95, late 95. And I just played it all the time. And it just, the songs, it almost makes me greet to think how much that means to me, that record. Um, About You, Sparky's Dream, Verisimilitude. Um, just every single track is is brilliant. I think it's them, as the best collection of songs they have. I would say Songs of Northern Britain is the next one. I love everything they, they do, mm-hmm. but I think they were really hitting a stride as a band when Grand, for me, when Grand Prix came out. I know some people like the earlier, kind of grungier stuff, uh, Madwagon-esque and all of that, and I love that as well. But, yeah, as you were saying, there's something sunny in the music, even when there's kind of melancholy in the um, the lyrics, you know, and kind of sadness mm. in the lyrics, there's still... Uh, um, and it shows all of them as great songwriters, every, mm. uh, each one a member of the band. Um, mm. Yeah, love, I love Grand Prix. By teenage fan club to bits. I think that's one of my favourite qualities in, in a lot of songs that kind of melancholy but uplifting at the same time. It's quite a hard thing to pitch, but you know when you get you get a kind of uplifting song which is still uh, kind of melancholy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. this for all that Morrissey might be the the man whose name we you know we dare not name. Um, that's what the Smiths did so brilliantly often. Mm. He had this wonderful guitar line um, t- together with old uh, Morrissey's lyrics. Mm. Anyway, let's not talk, we're not here to talk about him. What's your yeah. next one, Andy? We're up to number five, I make it. Number five, all right, okay. Um, okay, there's a, there's a record, it, it's, it's misleading because it's called Dream Journals 1966 to 1976 by Robin Williamson, but it came out in 90. Six, I think, right. pretty sure, on CD anyway. And yeah. I don't think it was out. I don't think it was out on record. And what, what it was was um, Robin Williamson, uh, when he was with the Incredible String Band and touring America and so forth, um, he, would, he was um, in the habit of writing a, a morning diary and uh, this would be later uh, put together as a, a dream journal. Right. And, and this kind of uh, appealed to me because I've always been keen on, on keeping journals and, and making notes. And, and, and it's fabulous to look back at these. You know, once you get in the habit of doing it years later, you think, what, what on earth was that about? What but, were my dreams like? What was that? Oh, I mean, especially if you were in, uh, you know, in the California folk scene in the... Uh, 66, I would imagine. But um, so when he was touring, he he got into the habit of doing this, and so he turned these journals into um, uh, songs from the, the inner life, and uh, they're fabulous. They're absolutely bonkers. You know, really, really bonkers. Quite hard to follow, but um, I, I just love the um, the imagery of them because they they are very much like dreams. They don't they don't make sense. You know, there's there's people fold their wings and then turn around and speak to somebody else and, you know, all that kind of gear. 
um, it's, it's, it's really it's really good. It's very bizarre, but um, I was listening to a lot of Robin Williamson at that time anyway, so a lot of his stuff is quite... Um, uh, all, 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 because it's so Celtic and so bardic and sto- mixed in with storytelling and harp playing, uh, it's it, it's kind of borderline Tolkien-esque, you know? Mm-hmm. It's that kind of... And I suppose that's right, because Tolkien stuff came out of the, the Nordic uh, yeah. tradition and, 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 and the bardic tradition. So, Tom Bombadil, um, all that stuff. Absolutely, I married on Tom Bombadil. So... Yeah, so that that's my uh, number five. It's it's worth finding if you can find it. It's, we should say for anyone who didn't hear us talking about the eighties, we spoke about Robin Williams from there, and he's an amazing musician and really mm. worth checking out. Um, either with the Incredible String Band or his solo stuff as well. Yeah. Okay, my number five is um, Ruby and Salt Peter. Do you know it at oh, all? No, I don't know uh, it at all. Right, so. Uh, Leslie Rankin uh, was a, a, a Scottish singer and uh, she in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s was in a band called Silverfish who were mm-hmm. kind of part of the whole kind of Camden scene just before Britpop, you know, took uh-huh. over that part of London and everything. Right. And um, she famously used to have a, a T-shirt that said Hips, Lips, Tits, Power. And the T-shirt mm-hmm. actually became more famous than the band. Um, so, mm-hmm. But they were a real kind of got a hardcore political um, uh, angle to them, real kind of almost grunge, really, I suppose. Mm. Um, a riot girl kind of stuff. Anyway, she left them in 93 and in 95 returned as Ruby with an mm. album called Salt Peter. And uh, of course, Britpop was going on at that time, but so was trip hop. And you had, you know, uh, the Bristol scene like. Uh, Massive Attack and Tricky and The Wild Bunch and, you know, all, all of that stuff. Uh, and that's what the Salt Peter album does is take the kind of politics and anger of Silverfish, the passion, and have add, basically add trip-hop beats to it, add, you know, mm. um, Wild Bunch sounds and uh, what Tricky was doing at the time. And it really makes for a, a very interesting um, uh, album. I noticed when I was... Re- looking to do this, that there are some clips off her on Jules Holland's show. So it must have been one of the early Jules Holland shows. And they don't really do the album. It doesn't work brilliantly live, I don't think, but uh, the album, the production on it's great. Um, Yeah, Ruby and Salt, Peter um, uh, is definitely one to check out. Uh, It's kind of one of the lost trip-hop albums, I would suggest, but as good as any of them. Don't think I've got much trip-hop, Ali. No, never into Massive Attack? I don't, no, I didn't have... I, I maybe had uh, the one with the big beetle on it. I don't know. Yeah, 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 Mezzanine. I think you probably did have that. Because that had, uh, and more of her later, Liz Fraser did the vocals right. for Teardrops. Right, yeah, got you. Yeah. So there were hits, but I was... I, I think I've seen Massive Attack. Massive Attack and Primal Scream are probably the two bands I've seen more live than anyone mm. else. Mm. And uh, uh, one of the best gigs I was ever at was Tricky supporting uh, PJ Harvey at the Barras. Mm. Um, mm. And uh, so I, I really did get into that whole uh, kind of music. It's great because it was, again, in, from the club scene, but you could sit and listen to it at home as well, you know, mm. that they could really mm. kind of crossed over. So you, you, while you were uh, listening to Robin Williams and I was listening to the trip hop. Uh, well, I was sitting in a field finding myself. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah. Eight number six, Andy. Let's go. Okay, uh, the man who by Travis. Ah, nineteen ninety-nine. Um, was that? Yeah, yeah, it is the same year. Um, and I really liked uh, Good Feeling when it came out as well. I listened to that a lot. And, and, and many I ways, think I that's my favourite album. I think mm. the first album is my favourite. I, I prefer the sound of it, and I like a lot of the B-sides from that period because they're nice and loose, and they've got noisy guitars on them, which I like. But um, I, I, just because the man who was so... Um, uh, such a, To me, it was such a solid piece of work. And also, um, just at that time, I think I was my first job I had after art school. And I can remember coming out of the, the Uddingston low level, uh, coming out into Argyle Street, up up the escalator yeah, yeah. and out into the daylight. And Clyde had set up, Clyde One or whatever, had set up a big uh, sort of stand with the speakers and the decks yeah. and everything. And it was blaring out. I think it was Driftwood. Um, it's a great song. And I... And it was just, it just hit us like, because people had said, oh, you know, um, you know, Franny's doing quite well just now. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's good. That's that's nice, you know, and stuff like that. And you just never clicked. And then suddenly the, the enormity of how well this thing had done, it was like, wow, you know. So, but it, it's such a strong memory, just memory coming out, coming out of that substation and then just going, oh, right, this, this stuff blaring out into the early morning. And, uh, and, should, and I love the sound on it. We should hmm? say that you, uh, you you knew Franny, you were in a band with him when you were both younger. So that's we how you know. And we're all Franny we're doing right. quite well. You go, oh, well, well done. And then suddenly uh, they're on every bus and they're playing it at Tower Records or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, no, it was... It, it was, it was uh, and I think it was... Uh, it was a, what's his name, Goderich, wasn't it, Goderich? Yeah, it was, yeah, Nigel Goderich. Who, 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 um, who was working with Radio, Radiohead yeah. at the time. Radio so, so it was a nice, yeah, it was a pretty sophisticated sounding album, even though the, the songs, some of the songs are, are quite straightforward in their structure and stuff like that. Uh, it's really amazing sounding album. Yeah. Which I don't listen to a lot, but when I do, it's, it's really... Uh, yeah. Uh, <coughs> Excuse me. Um, you know, a lot of people uh, uh, have given Travis the blame for Copley coming along, which I think is very unfair. Um, I don't know who I would much rather listen to. But um, mm. that album is a really good album. Um, the strong, yeah. Some of the songs, you just say they're, they're maybe simple in inverted commas, oh. but the production really works with the songs as well. Driftwood's a great oh. Uh-huh. Writing to yeah. reach you, writing to reach you is a great song. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I think I think a fantastic album, uh, and I know it's uh, it divides people, uh, but I think uh, it's a great album. Yeah. Um, okay, so I am going to um, go with the Bathers and Sunpowder. Um, now I could have picked Lagoon Blues, which was their debut that came out in 1983. But uh, the, the Sunpowder came out, oh, 96, I think, 96. And um, it is uh, where they really kind of hit their stride. If anyone who doesn't know the Bathers, because they were kind of called, I think, Scotland's best kept secret at one point. They were um, not just a Glasgow band. They seemed to be a West End of Glasgow band. You know, they, they, there's an album called Kelvin Grove Baby. Uh, there's lots of references to um, a, the, the walking the West End streets and all that kind of stuff. Production is gorgeous. You know, there's strings and percussion and Chris Thompson's vocals, which are just gorgeous. They're so rich. 
um, uh, and there's the harmonies and this uh, album in particular was when I thought um, yeah, they really hit their stride and um, it sounded kind of a bit like like no one else at the time and yes there was kind of Lloyd Cole and Love and Money and you know there were kind of um, and some we'll talk about Craig Armstrong later on you know those kind of bands but they seemed to take it to a, a, another level um, it was almost orchestral well it was orchestral I guess um, and I still love the bathers to this day I, I, I listen to them regularly and this one has the bonus of having um, a guest vocalist Elizabeth Fraser from the Cocteau Twins mm-hmm. on it mm-hmm. uh, and particularly on a track called Angel on Ruskin which is one of my favourite songs of all time mm-hmm. it's a beautiful check out Angel on Ruskin um, it's great because her vocals come in and just lift everything which is already mm-hmm. at a great height and just lift it to another level um, okay, Andy, number seven. Well, this is another uh, Robin Williamson-related thing because that's what I was listening to a hell of a lot of in the 90s. Uh, and it's an album called Wheel of Fortune, which he did with um, John Renborn, who played in uh, Pentangle. Oh. Right? So, yeah, he, he can, so he can play his guitar, you know? Yeah. So they met up. I mean, they, they cross paths all the time, you know, back in the day when they were touring, etc. And um, at that point, I think he was living out in San Francisco or something. Uh, I think Robin lives in, in uh, Britain now, but uh, they had decided to do this tour because um, all they would need was a guitar, a small harp, you know, and that's it. Off they go on the road. And they did this... Uh, which was recorded as a live recording and there's a couple of stories as well as a storyteller as well as other things and um, the, yes the, one of the one of the uh, jokes is that they um, didn't know what to call themselves and Robin's from Incredible String Band and uh, you know John's from uh, Pentangle so they were going to call themselves the Impenetrable String Tangle which appealed oh. to me at the time Touche. But they didn't. Right. Eh? But they didn't. No, they didn't. Uh, and so, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and there's some brilliant stuff. There's, there's a lot of John Renborn's uh, stuff that he plays, uh, the English dance, some of his classic stuff, which are guitar pieces, just solo guitar pieces, but he does sing on it as well. And, uh, yeah, well, it's just a nice record. It's, it reminded me, I listened to it recently just to remind myself of it again. And, um, you know, the kind of nights that we were doing up at the up at the Braemar Gallery, the sort of yeah. intimate nights where you'd get people coming in, they'd do a bit of storytelling. I was listening to the Ali Roberts record um, last night with the, um, gosh, what was the French group of singers called? You had them up, didn't you? Yeah. Not come to me, but um, that was an amazing night, you know, because they just they just put the table down, got the whiskey out, got the wine out, sat around it, and did a very uh, like they were sitting at the kitchen table at home, and then they sat in the audience and sang as well. Well, th- this reminded me very much of that kind of thing. It's very informal, uh, but thankfully somebody recorded it all, and uh, I think it's on pig pig's whisker music. And that, I mean, you know, uh, Ali Roberts influences is from a lot of that music you know like he, that, yes. he absolutely reveres a lot of that stuff yes absolutely uh, he's he told me he's uh, sat on uh, John Renborn's knee 
Because uh-huh, really? he was just a wee boy at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Twenty seven like years old he was. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It was last week. Oh, oh so, yeah. Good gag. Yeah, great gag. Okay, my number seven again. Uh, unsurprising, I think, but I had to do it. And it is the Blue Nile oh, and a piece of life. I've just realised these are the CD years, really. You know, because yeah, I had in vinyl in the eighties, and then into the 90s, suddenly it was, as you, as you can, well, I won't show you, and that over there, big wall of CDs, and uh, yeah, so. Uh, Where did all the cassettes go? The cassettes? I, I have no cassettes, I don't know. They all just went into a vortex. Into a landfill somewhere. I don't know. Because I had lots of stuff that I used to take for work. I had loads of cassettes. Yeah. I don't know where they are. Blue Nile, Peace at Last, the third Blue Nile album, um, just a mere seven years after Hats, that one came out in '96. Mm. Hats we talked about uh, last time when we did the '80s. Um, and what can you say? It's really just more of the same. You can't get enough Blue Nile, and if only there was more, I would say uh, it was another eight years, by the way, until the next one came out, which was high. The- I think that's what's quite good about it, though, because you do really, you know, there's a lot of people that just yeah put, I agree. A, put a record after record after record it's like if you've got nothing to say don't do it you know don't put out some unfortunately it's the same with uh, many people to say with painters perhaps or definitely with writers some sure. we're talking about um robin jenkins the other day who wrote over 30 novels and it's kind of been forgotten partly i think because he wrote so many of them you know and i think yeah. that's the thing with uh um actually of doing that yeah. that's for sure no, um, throw enough shit at the wall and it'll stick, but you've still got to walk up. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they uh, they take their time and God bless them for it. Um, it's this again. I just love every track on it. Um, mm. I don't think it was as warmly received as the first two, but who cares? Um, Brilliant. Brilliant album. Family Life and God Bless Your Kid, two songs that would make me greet listening to them. I mean, Ali, they did make you greet. I was there when we saw them live. Oh, I forgot that. That's right. <laughs> we went, we went to see them live, and Ali was like a blubbering. So would I, actually. But you know, it's fun. Uh, it was a very, very, very special evening. Yeah. Anyway, yes. Uh, I, I, there's nothing much else to say. Every home should have one when it comes to the each Blue Nile album and Peace at Last. Uh, a just beautiful, beautiful record. It is. Okay, uh, number eight. We're getting there, Andy. Oh, shall we number eight already? I've got Boards of Canada, Music is the Right to Children. Round of applause for me. I always pick that. What a record that is. How do you like them, Apples? I like them fine. Good, good. Um, I I bought this on recommendation again because at the time I was... uh, well, it was before, it it, it was music that came before what has now kind of come to be known as kind of hauntological records, you know, the, right. the hauntology records from um, Ghost Box Records, yeah. uh, Belberry Polly and um, Advisory Circle and people like that. Um, it was that sort of, it was a nostalgia or an imagined, a nostalgia for a past that maybe didn't quite happen, you know, yeah. or that kind of, do you know what I'm trying to say? I do. No, it, it, it's, it's a, a kind of... realised past half not quite remembered nostalgia and I, that really really appealed to me it still does and most of the, most of the music I like these days a lot of it deals with that uh, from the from the label ghost box which I can't recommend that's kind of what your art does isn't it yeah yeah absolutely it's kind of mi- mi- misremembered 
Because we do anyway, we pick and choose the things that we remember and we remember our own version of, of what happened. But this, in, in a musical sense, was that kind of thing, these kind of warbly, slightly broken sounding analog uh, synthesizers and samples and field recordings and, and, and some almost hip hop inspired uh, kind of feel to it in some places. And uh, it just suited me down to the ground, that kind of uh, woozy kind of summery sound again, quite dark sounding in, in places as well. But um, yeah, it, was, it really appealed to me. It's not an album I play a lot because uh, at the time when I was playing it a lot, um, it, 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 you know, it was it was very much of its time, and I've, I've now I've, I found other music which is does a similar thing for me, which which I listen to a lot more. But this, if that makes any sense, this 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 was one that introduced me that to thinking that that was a form of music, this kind of misremembered nostalgia and that's what i like to call it if that, if that makes yeah. any sense it does and what's interesting about boards of canada is that uh, a, i think there was a lot the influence of a lot of people but at that time there was really nobody doing what they were doing it didn't no you? no that's what it seemed no, like I, <coughs> excuse me yeah no I, I wasn't aware of anyone doing it. it it sounded unique to me and it still does yeah Okay, my number eight, again, it's one which I think is still maybe locked away because I couldn't find it, so I'll bring up the cover here. And it is the Arab Strap with, uh, come on, the weekend, oh, the weekend Never Starts Around Here, there's the cover of it, if I can get rid of that. Okay, yeah. Um, first Arab Strap album, and to me, hearing this was the equivalent of when I first... When I was 16, and I picked up a copy of uh, uh, Busking Dr. Hines by James Kelman, and I picked up The Was Factor being banked very, very close together and read them and went, oh, wow, there are people like me in books and there are people that talk early in books. Similarly, when I heard um, uh, The Weekend Never Starts Around Here and First Big Weekend of the Summer in particular, that track, he went, oh, hang on a minute. We knew that people could sing in Scottish accents you know, Proclaimers had done it. That was beginning to be a bit more uh, popular. But for people to be doing what we were doing, um, you know, going out weekends, clubs, pubs, all that kind of stuff, making assholes with themselves. Um, and then they were putting it on record. You could also make music about that. And that was mm. that was fantastic. Mm. And um, what a band, Arabstrap, the inspiration from uh, Aidan Moffat and Malcolm Middleton and what they've done solo as well. But it's mm -hmm. all in essence in that very first record. And uh, mm -hmm. it's a hugely influential record to me and I think to many other bands that, that followed. I mean, many, many other bands that followed wouldn't be doing what they're doing without Arabstrap, I would suggest. Did you say uh, Mal Malcolm Middleton? Did you yes. say? Yeah, yeah, I... Um... I once made the mistake of putting one of his records on while I was uh, painting a scenery for a pantomime that oh. I'd volunteered to do. Up. <laughs> I never got down a ladder as quickly as my life. It was like, oh. Brilliant, because the boy yeah. can swear. Though they both can, they're both marvellous oh. swearers. But for anyone, uh, uh -huh. for anyone knows the album, it's uh, a track called uh, Autumn on uh, Into the Woods, I think it's called. Yeah, that's and, it. Uh, that's right. First line, if it's all right. Drops a bomb, so I was, I was like, oh, uh, the children, yeah, yeah, it's a, 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 a 
fantastic stuff. I mean, brilliant music. Yeah. And still to this day, making amazing, amazing music. Um, okay, uh, number nine, Andy, from yourself. Nine is uh, Space by Space, but Space where um, Jimmy Corty, uh, Corty and, um, oh gosh, who's the other guy? Uh, they were going to be the Orb. It was the first lineup of the Orb, but um, right. uh, Patterson, Alex Patterson. Yeah, I think so. I think that's right. Sorry, I've I've, I've not got that in front of me. Uh, right. Oh no, here we go. Alex Patterson. Yeah, yeah, got you. And so they were the original lineup of the Orbs, but um, there was a dispute about the recording. There was a fallout, so they were going to put it out under the the KLF um, title, but then they put it out as space. It just said space on it. It didn't say anything about KLF on it oh, at all. This is brand new to me. Right. No, it's it's worth getting a hold of. I couldn't get it. Um, I've got a pal of mine, Gareth, Gareth Neil. Yeah. Call him we Gareth Neil because he used to be we. He's not we anymore. How appalling. <laughs> to still call somebody we. Right. So, um, anywho, he bumped me a copy and uh, it's fabulous. It's good. It, it, it's Kind of like the it's the same idea as a chill out um, yeah. uh, album, except it's a journey. Uh, it's a journey across the, the sort of universe, as it was. Um, uh, sort of uh, empty space between the worlds, and then you pass different planets, and they've got clips of Disney in there, and um, they've got all sorts of nursery rhymes and um, uh, synths. You know, they did a lot of. Um, it was a jam, basically. So you know, they started out doing it, and they, but after the fallout, they took all the all the other chap stuff off off the recording. So it's just his recording. But it's it's a fabulous thing. It's hard to describe, but it's it's just like a big sprawling analog uh, ambient piece with um, with samples and so forth. So it's very similar to to chill out, but I, I never see it anywhere. It's called space. That's it. Oh, I must check that out. That sounds brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Okay, number nine for me. Um, I had to include some uh, Bell and Sebastian because um, they were a, a big band for me in the, the later part of the, the 90s. And I think few bands have had a run like they did from the beginning. So you had Tiger Milk, which was their uh, debut. Um, you know, there's lots of myth and legend about that. But Stowe College you know, course, and they, this is where they, they put it together. Followed it up with um, If You're Feeling Sinister, and then uh, The Boy with the Arab Strap. But they also had these incredible um, EPs, Dog and Wheels, uh, Three, Six, Nine Seconds of Light. This is just a modern uh, rock song. And the one I'm picking, that I'm going to feature, is Lazy Line Painter Jane, mm-hmm. uh, EP from Bell and Sebastian, I think 1997, I think. Uh, maybe 90, yeah, I think 97. Anyway, it's it's Bell and Sebastian. What more do you need to know? You kind of know what they do. Um, exactly. Particularly special because it's got the guest vocals of Monica Queen on it. Uh-huh. And, uh, a, you know, Monica, who was in Thrum and is currently in Tenement and Temple and had her amazing um, solo albums. And if we do do one about the noughties, Andy then I'm sure Monica will uh, make an appearance there. But this is well, the I did have to, I had to look that up and uh, it didn't come under 90s, the one that I wanted to put on. Uh, ah, it, right. com- it comes much later on. So that would have been... 
so yeah, Lazy Line, Lazy Line Painter Jane. I think it's one of the best Bell and Sebastian tracks. Um, and I, but that period, it was almost like not many bands have a run. I think the Smiths' first few albums and singles, um, Prince for a while, um, Prefab Sprout uh, for a while, had a run of records that each one, they were just doing it, you know, hitting that mark every single mm -hmm. time. And Bell and Sebastian on to make other great, great records. But for a while, um, in, in terms of uh, nobody could touch them, I think they were just superb. And they're not everyone's cup of tea, but uh, yeah, I'm a big, big fan of Bell and Sebastian, and particularly what they did in the late 90s. Okay, Andy, it's uh, time for our final choice. Uh, and before you tell us what that is, we should fess up. Uh, Keen-eyed uh, viewers will notice that uh, you have had a costume change since uh, we talked about our number nines. But um, does, Zoom yes. uh, let us down and we, we weren't able to talk about our final choices. Um, so let's not pretend that that's not the case. But, uh, much time yeah, has passed. Much time has passed, yeah. It is now the next day. And uh, I look incredibly similar, but uh, you've at least had a change of clothing, which was a wise thing to do. Wash as well. Between I've not moved. Them, uh, I've been here all the night. <laughs> Try to get a connection on the uh, Zoom. Exactly. Okay. Okay, yeah, number 10, Andy, our last choice of our 90s records. Number 10 for me ah, is uh, Screamadelica by Primal Scream, uh, for which that I... Um, a huge fan anyway, but this this was a real curveball when it came out to me because I didn't, unlike you, Ali, I wasn't uh, going to nightclubs, etc. I was uh, just a wee bit, tiny bit younger. You weren't and, aware uh, of the kind of um, big influence of... And, uh, and let's face it, music. considerably more square, so I wasn't going out to uh, clubs well, I and found, stuff. See, I found the, oh, yes, yes. the single version of Loaded, which has got the original I'm Losing More Than I'll Ever Have, which is what yes. Loaded was sampled from, and really the start of uh, the whole Screamadelica thing, isn't it? That was the, apparently uh, Andy Weatherall really liked the um, the ballads, the slow ballads, funnily enough, on the, on, on the Primal Scream, Primal Scream second album. Um, and he really liked the ballads. He was really a big fan of the record, so... Uh, and that one was the only one that they'd uh, recorded with a click track so he could chop it and, and uh, edit it into something else. Um, and that's like you say, that's where it all started. But for me, the ones that really appealed because I was, I was into um, Brian Eno and, uh, and, and, and uh, kind of ethereal sounding records. So things like Shine Like the Stars and Higher Than the Sun, Dub, Dub Symphony in two parts and um, Damaged coming down, in their flight. Those appealed to me absolutely instantly, first listening, you know. Um, but some of the more kind of uh, dancey stuff took me a while to get rid of. But now, now it's, it's just one of my favourite records. I mean, it's, it's, it really is. Who'd have thought that, you know, it's, it's, a, class, it's a classic, you know. It's a game-changing record. It really did. I mean, uh, that, uh, you know, you talk about going to clubs and that, you know, spent a lot of time in dance clubs, but also a lot of time in indie clubs. And here was where the two met. Perfectly. Mm -hmm. And you also mm -hmm. had, um, I mean, I think even the Soup Dragons might have done it before, but it did make such a big impact. Um, but there mm -hmm. were other bands who were doing something similar. You mentioned Jesus Jones, I think, when we chatted uh -huh. earlier on. Um, EMF. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, it made, you know, it brought uh, kind of club music 
um, it gave it a live dimension, um, mm -hmm. which it mm -hmm. didn't have before. You know, if you think about mm -hmm. when the early dance records were on top of the box and it was like a, um, a fake singer up front and maybe two guys on decks playing and all this. I mean, suddenly here were bands that were playing and playing it live. Um, although you could I, say this is more of an Andy Weatherall record than Primal Screamer. Yes. I, I don't know. I, I don't know how much is... Uh, it, it certainly would seem that he had a huge, a huge uh, uh, fingerprint on it. Um, but I saw the, the tour, uh, I saw them live when they were touring this, and it was the, one of the loudest things I've ever seen. And... Uh, Incredible, but yeah, it didn't. Although they had the guitarists and they had Throb and uh, uh, Bobby up front and all the rest of it, 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 it sounded absolutely enormous. You know, it was really a huge sounding record live, you know. Um, so it was great, good, good times because that's what those the the, the uh, dance records that Andy Weatherall had been doing, the Sabres of Paradise and things like that, a lot mm -hmm. of them, it was a huge bass sound. That was kind of part yeah. of it. You know, you weren't, you, you, your whole body was kind of shaken by the sound that was coming out of it. And actually, uh, what's you, interesting yep. is Primal Scream before that, they had moved from a kind of very indie jangle pop to a kind of heavier sound, on, on like an MC5 uh -huh. sound. Uh -huh. um, but this would have been a bigger thing than, than ever before. And it would make your uh, Joe Bloggs denims flap in the uh, in the bass. The, then with the bass, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. so that's me. That's uh, Screamadelica. Yeah. Well, I am going to give you my ten. I've only just decided which one of these is going to be my ten. So I'm going to give a very honourable mention for uh, Superstars uh, 18 Carat. Joe uh, mm -hmm. McLinden, who'd been in the Boy Hairdressers with many, you know, mm -hmm. Douglas from BMX Bandits and Teenage Fan Club, stuff like that. Um, but this is a great record. I've played it to death. And Joe McLinden's just got such a great voice. But I'm going with Craig Armstrong and The Space yeah. Between Us which mm -hmm. was the first Craig, I was aware of Craig Armstrong, he played with the Big Dish, as mm -hmm. many musicians uh, who have gone on to other things did. But um, mm -hmm. I wasn't that aware of his stuff, and it was a friend of mine at the time. The way I do with Hats and the Blue Nile kind of forced it upon me and said, you're going to love this record. And uh, so she gave me a copy of it, and I absolutely did. It's superb. Um, it's got, again, Elizabeth Fraser guest vocals on it, Paul Buchanan is mm. on it. Um, there's tracks that would end up being in Romeo and Juliet and used on film soundtracks. And that's really where Craig Armstrong went. You know, he um, mm. did Moulin Rouge. He did some of Romeo and Juliet. He would do other things, um, big orchestral sounds. But he also does, I've got all of his stuff. I'm a huge fan mm. of Craig Armstrong. Mm. He's got his Piano Works albums, which is just the mm. kind of um, piano versions of a lot of his stuff. Um, it's that what you were talking about earlier on about the soundscapes and the ethereal stuff. That's what he was getting to. It's still quite a kind of pop album in a way, but um, mm -hmm. but with a big, big sound to it. Yeah, mm -hmm. and interesting going into the noughties that this would kind of define a lot of what he did for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So that is our ten best Scottish albums are the ones that we uh, treasure the most of the uh, 90s. And what's interesting is, because as I said at the very beginning of this, we went from uh, living in the same house and then kind of going to different parts of the country and finding, uh, doing different things, is that you 
partly because you were doing your your stuff at art school, but also I think part of the world you were in were into mm-hmm. kind of the a uh, um the Eno and the Harold Bud and all the kind of mm-hmm. soundscape stuff that you were incorporating into your art, but also mm-hmm. a lot of the folk stuff I think that was probably mm-hmm. more prevalent up there. And, but also, that was that's who's you know uh, mixing with, like I say, the guys at, uh, at the printmakers, at Peacock Printmakers, and things like that. It's, it's yeah. the people that you meet, you know, that they, they say, "Oh, here's a here's a wee cassette or whatever," you know, and that was, it was still had cassettes, of course. Whereas I was we, very much kind of uh, mm-hmm. ensconced in the kind of Glasgow uh, scene of bands that were not just playing in Glasgow, but that were mm-hmm. you know you met in pubs and bars mm-hmm. and clubs and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. So. Uh, uh, it's quite interesting to see how, how our tastes developed. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, thanks, Andy, for doing this again. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. And Sorry we cut out in the middle, but... Um, yeah, it's all right. We've got there in the end. And mm-hmm. um, it'll be interesting if we do do another one of these, which would be the noughties, to see just how mm-hmm. much it kind of diverses even yeah. further. Mm-hmm. Um, be quite, that will be quite interesting. But for now, um, I'm going to say um, cheerio. To you. Mm-hmm. Cheers, Ali. Yep. You soon. And uh, we'll be back soon uh, with the Scots Way podcast with someone completely different and then maybe someone very similar after that. Cheers. Mm-hmm.